Beers and Tears would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land from which we conduct this podcast, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waterways and sky of this beautiful place, and we pay our respects to Elders past and present, and extend that respect to all First Nations people present today, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Beers and Tears. Today, I am joined with Cav Temperley. Hello, how are you today? I'm very good, Vic. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What have you What have you been up to today? Well, uh, my record's about to come out, so I've been doing all the things that you do to get ready for a record release. So I've been uh, writing lots of track-by-track uh, track, um, uh, rundowns of the album, doing little videos, shout-outs to people, all those things. And as you can see, I'm... I'm in my jam room in Fremantle, which is where I recorded most of my records. So um, it's kind of surreal. I'm in that kind of last bit of free fall before everyone gets to hear the record and it's kind of a bit nerve wracking. Yeah, beautiful. Um, Well, I wanted to right off the bat talk about the new single. It's called Last of the Wine. Um, Yeah, I find the topic very interesting. So if you wanted to quickly touch on... Yeah, where you were at and like that thought that provoked kind of where you wrote this song from and yeah, the recording process. So um, it was actually one of the very first songs that I wrote for what would become an album. Um, And I arrived back from uh, the US and literally a day later, the whole entire world shut down and everyone was locked in their houses and no one could go anywhere. And at the same time, I came down with a mysterious virus. Um, we didn't know what it was, couldn't even test for COVID because it was that early in the whole piece. So I got, you know, um, quarantined in my bedroom and the rest of the family were kind of just existing on the other side of the door. And then at a certain point in time, I started to feel a little bit better and there was a piano in the room. So I started to just kind of muck around with, uh, you know, some ideas that were going through my head and, one of the things, uh, the conversations that I was having through the window of my <laughs> my sick room um, was with my mother-in-law and uh, she had worked in, you know, women's health for a long time, um, doing counselling and all kinds of bits and pieces. And one of the subjects she brought up was she said, you know, there's a lot of people through this lockdown period who are getting locked up with their abusers and a lot of like domestic violence thing is going through the roof um, and you need to write a song about this. And I was just like, that's a really heavy subject. First, I don't know if I'm qualified for this uh, or up for the challenge. So I sat at the piano and started to think about, you know, um, the whole situation and started to write a bit of a storyline. And I was just thinking about that that kind of moment, you know, when people are in a complex relationship where they have a glass of wine and, you know, that very first glass of wine and they just start to, everything just feels light and okay just for one moment in time, you know, before it all goes horribly wrong. Um, And I was imagining this idea of, you know, maybe someone who's kind of, you know, locked in their room, locked away from, you know, whoever they're trying to escape in their same house and they're having a glass of wine and they're looking out over the streets and they're thinking about somebody else who's locked down in another room somewhere else, the person that they're actually in love with and uh, and just trying to survive a very complex situation. So it goes into a bit more details in, in the uh, verses of, you know, and I'm trying to write a song that is actually, you know, that people want to listen to, that it's not just like, wow, that's a really heavy subject matter, but I'm also... 
I'm trying to tread too lightly through it because I don't think you can with this stuff. Um, so the the result is this kind of heavy subject matter to this really kind of upbeat pop tune. And yeah. and I, rec- I recorded most of the album myself in this tiny studio that you can see behind me just out of pure necessity because, um, you know, we were in lockdown. I, I wasn't actually allowed at anybody else in the room. So uh, I would build up the track and I would kind of program in the drums. You know, I've, I've got like some drum samples from my last record. Um, so I just use, and they sound wicked. So I just like use them to kind of map out the drum parts and I built up everything. And then finally, as the world opened up a bit, I took the tracks over to a studio that we used to own with Eskimo Joe. So like we literally built this studio from the ground up, um, but you can, the drums sound great in there. So I went over there and luckily the guy who runs it now is also a drummer. So I was like, here's the drum parts, let's do it. So that, so oddly enough, a lot of the drums went on kind of quite late in the process with these songs. Cool. Yeah, so it sounds like it's kind of quite a, it's quite a story that you have created for that track. Do you kind of plan out this storyline prior to sitting down and creating the song or did it come to you along the way? Well, a lot of it is like a hybrid of my own story that I've kind of then gotten fictional halfway through because I haven't lived through domestic violence luckily totally. enough. But I could, all I can do is try and tell my own story about, you know, what it means to kind of use alcohol as a coping mechanism, I guess. Mm. Um, really a lot of the place, you know, people always ask that thing of like, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know, do your lyrics come first or your melody comes first? Often for me, um, everything kind of arrives at the same time. I kind of have a melody and and like one line pops into my head. Um, and then I'm a big believer in uh, the subconscious. So you just kind of, I do, I like to do this thing, which I call automatic writing. I don't know if that's the correct term for it, but I literally just like set the timer for 10 minutes and I just write and I'd, I won't get bogged down in, you know, um, rhyming or, you know, whether I'm jumping from first person to third person, I just literally write. And the idea is that at some point in time in that process, like, you know, the, your, un- your conscious mind kind of unlocks and all of these kinds of memories and stories that have been happening to you start to kind of flood out into the page. And I really believe that good writing is about that. You know, it's about putting real stories into the subjects that you write about, even if they end up being a fictional scenario. Like, I mean, for instance, I it's I found it a long time to hard to admit this, but I became a massive Taylor, Taylor Swift fan during the <laughs> Because I fell in love with Folklore. It was such a good record. Like every single song was killer. Like the production, you know, was wicked. Um, and I was kind of like shocked but but pleasantly surprised to hear that she had written all of the songs in a fictional way. She was like, I'm sick of writing these songs about, you know, my love life. It's just fucking exhausting. And I can totally relate to that. But I refuse to believe that when she's writing, there's not some kind of narrative that comes from her. Um, And so that's a lot of what I I do in my writing as well. So, you know, I found that a very similar scenario, like at a certain point in time in Eskimo Joe, when I was writing, like I, I couldn't just keep going into my life story about everything. So I would find little nuggets of, of real stories that would happen to me. And then I'd kind of weave them into this storyline. Sometimes it's true. A lot of the songs are very documented and very um, journalistic, but, but I think you should still feel free to take a fictional turn at any point in time. Cause it's just about telling a great story. Totally. Yeah. And it's a, uh... Uh, allows for great creativity, I think, not kind of putting yourself in that box to stick to your own story or stick purely to writing something fictional. It can kind of just be whatever you want to create it to be. 
Yeah, also, yeah, it stops you from being kind of masochistic, going like having to go up and break out, break up with your loved ones. Totally. And yeah, so you mentioned the new album's coming, Machines of Love and Grace, comes out on October 19th. After listening and creating Last of the Red Wine, or Last of the Wine, sorry, not Last of the Red Wine, Black Fingernails, Red Wine, it's all like (laughs) intertwined. I might have a theme with all of my songs, which involves wine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Are there any songs um, off the upcoming album that you are especially quite proud of or alternatively a song that you kind of weren't sure about including? Look, there's lots of, there's only 11 tracks on the album because I really, I'm still such a fan of the album listening process. I didn't put on anything that I didn't think needed to be there. I really, really wanted the, the album to be really deep in the whole storytelling aspect of it. Like I love storytelling. It's one of my favorite things. So I, so I really just put on what needed to be there to tell the story. So the whole album's like just over 35 minutes long, um, perfect for a piece of vinyl. But, um, but the, the moments that I, you know, that I'm most proud of, I mean, you're always most proud of whatever song you're working on, basically. Otherwise we wouldn't do what we do as artists. Well, we'd be like, ah, it's all terrible, you know, because you, you know, we all suffer from imposter syndrome on a daily basis. Um, but um, but one of the last songs that I wrote for the record, which it just came out so well, I I really wanted to, after I'd written the record and I knew what kind of record I'd written, which is this kind of weird post-apocalyptic true story about the last two, two and a half years that we'd lived through, um, I really wanted to write like an introduction, you know, this kind of like almost this prologue to the album. Um, so... I started writing this song and it came to me originally because we we set off to do our first Eskimo Joe shows post pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of there, like standing in this big glass skyscraper, looking out at Melbourne, just completely fascinated. I was just like, the world still exists. This is amazing. And I had this feeling of kind of like a fish coming up from the deep, you know, like those deep sea fish that if you pull them up out of the deep, they just explode because of the lack of pressure. I suddenly felt that kind of feeling, you know? Um, and so I came home and I was like, right, I need to, I need to write the introduction to this album. And so I wrote this song called emergency in D minor. And it's meant to be like the, you know, the kind of like, here's the introduction to the album you're about to listen to. Um, and I did a little voice memo before I, I, as I was sitting there, kind of just getting the lyrics. And at the very beginning of the album, I've just, I just literally got the voice memo and chucked it at the beginning of the record. Um, and so it kind of sounds like this very essay-like introduction to the album. Um, but it's also like a big call to go, I'm going to write this epic opening track. You know, you just don't, you, like, when you set out to write a song, there's so many things that could go wrong before it gets to that final process of it being mixed and mastered where you're like, yeah, it's kind of a bit shit. I don't think I want to put it on the record. Yeah. So, so I went through this whole process. I got this. I really wanted to do a big epic um, kind of shine on your crazy diamond, you know, like synthesizers and a saxophone solo, um, you know, not, not unironic shit sax, but like, uh, you know, kind of smoky walk on the wild side, you know. Sex. Yeah, cool. So I got this girl, Erin Royer, who had played with us at the AFL Grand Final in 2021. We had we had to do a cover of In Excess Kick. And I didn't know that I needed to be singing in a stadium to a saxophone player until I was in a stadium singing to a saxophone player. Um, and so she was just a legend and I was like, hey, I've got this idea. It's going to have a whole saxophone section, but I'm very particular about how this saxophone is going to sound. So I sent her 
a playlist called Sexy Good Times, <laughs> which had Shine On Your Crazy Diamond. It had Walk On The Wild Side. It had a very underrated song called Pinball by John Prothero, I think his name is. Um, and then it had Air Playground Love on there as well. All cool sax songs. And then the other factor that happened is that upstairs uh, through that roof right there um, is these guys have set up this thing called the Synth Lab. And it is so because I'm I'm in this place called Art Source where it's just filled with all these different art studios and we're like the the resident music studio in here. Um, but upstairs, these guys have set up this thing and it looks like the inside of like a 60s sci-fi movie like they've they've set it up like an installation but it's wall to floor with old synths and signal generators and all these things it's like it's like a magical playground anyway so i went in with all my midi tracks and just sent them through all these synths and just created like all these crazy sounds anyway sent it off to get mixed lo and behold it came back and it was just like sounded amazing so i was like yes i've got the intro track so that's kind of one of those things i guess it I, I think I love it because it's the most self-indulgent moment on the record. You know, the rest of the album, I'm like, okay, I'm still going to, you know, consider the people who are listening to this record. I'm not making, I want to make a record that sounds like something I want to listen to, but I'm also aware that people want to listen to this, you know? Um, but this opening track is my most self-indulgent moment on the whole record. I get one, I get one self-indulgent moment. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I love it. We would like to take a short break to thank our sponsors. Spring is here and it's the perfect time for a beer. This episode is sponsored by Heaps Normal. Want to enjoy a classic Aussie lager without the downsides? Heaps Normal has got you covered. Another lager is as simple as it sounds. No funny business or flavours that will confuse your grandparents. It's just a beer to slot in with the rest of your faves. Tastes just like the ones you know so well, only this one helps you keep your hands steady and your pool game at 110%. It cracks, pours and drinks just like the rest of them. So it's up to you. No downsides in sight. Tastes just like any other lager, nothing more, nothing less. You released in 2018 your solo debut album called All Your Devotion. How would you say this album differs from that first release? Um, well, I guess with that release, I was I get I was going on a journey of what it, who it was, who I was outside of Eskimo Joe as a mm-hmm. solo artist. I mean, Eskimo Joe has always been a band where I generally write the songs on the acoustic guitar, present them to the band, then we argue about stuff for a while, and then we have an Eskimo Joe song. Um, and over the period of time, you know, that it ended up becoming more of like everyone wanted to be part of the writing process in the last two records that we made. So, you know, I was totally okay with that. We just opened it up and that's what it was. Um, but, uh, you know, I always kind of wondered what it would be like just to what would happen if it was just me on the acoustic guitar and then I just turned that into the record. So that first record was that. It was me finding out what that, that was. And I kind of dug into a lot of the sounds that I really love. Like I spent a lot of time getting the drum sound. I really love the early 70s kind of really tight Neil Young Harvest kind of drum sound. So I spent a lot of time getting that. And I was really tied up in the the conceptual idea of what the record was going to be. Whereas this album, like I said, I, I had to do most of it myself and it was really just a process of like like behind me, it's got a 
cover of it, but there's like a piano where I recorded all the piano and I would have to be at this computer, press record, run to the piano and then play the part. And I'm, you know, I'm a total hack piano player, but you know, there was no one else. So it was just me. Um, and, uh, and then I'd run back and it would just be a process of going, does that sound good? Excellent. All right, moving on. Um, I had less time or less people to kind of bounce off to say, okay, well, you know, what, what, what kind of piano sound do we want for this? I was literally like, does it sound good? All right, brilliant. Like, let's go. Yeah. And so, what emerged, what emerged out of that is um, a much more kind of organic sounding record. There's still like drum machines and synths and stuff on there, but but really, it's the sound of like one guy in a room. You know, <laughs> that's really literally what it is. Um, so, the sound of the record is, I guess, a little bit less uh, overthought and more just like a spontaneous kind of. This is me with a microphone in front of me. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, you kind of touched on writing music separately from Eskimo Joe. When you were first writing your solo album and your solo stuff, how did you kind of distinguish what your sound solo is going to be like um, compared to when you're writing and creating with Eskimo Joe? I think with all songs that I write, I literally just sit down and write a song for the sake of writing a song. I don't ever really think, okay, well, I'm going to sit down and write an Eskimo Joe song or write a cab mm. song or whatever, because I do songwriting for other people as well. Um, but I just write uh, the, with the pure love of writing songs. I just, it's the best fun in the world. Um, but there's a certain point in time where you just look at the calendar in front of you and you're like, right, it looks like it's time to do an Eskimo Joe album or looks like I should be, you know, presenting these songs to this artist who I'm about to work with or, or oh, time to make a cab record. So generally the songs all kind of start out in a similar place. And then the workshopping of the songs, which is like what I do with Eskimo Joe, or I do the workshopping is just me by myself workshopping the ideas. Um, that's where the flavor of where, you know, that, that song is going to end up. I think good songwriting is just good songwriting. You know, you just write what you write, but however you um, want to spin that, you know, a good song should be able to be played by Taylor Swift or Metallica and still be the same song. Mm. Cool. And uh, Wastelands was like, I guess, a big change from the albums that Eskimo Joe had that came before. Would you say this new album is a shift musically from the first solo album? Um, I think it's more of a consolidating of who I'm going to be as a solo artist. Like this felt very effortless for me, this record. I don't, again, I didn't feel like I had to overthink anything. I just made music. Mm. Um, and that's really good. Whenever that's happened for me in the past and like that happened in Eskimo Joe with songs like, so with albums like A Songs of City and Black Fingernails Red Wine, they were really effortless records to make. They just, you're just making music and it just feels right. Um, that's what this album felt like. And I feel like now that I've kind of, found my you know my skin as a solo artist like that's that's who I'm gonna be now for a while I mean uh I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow I might wake up and go I'm gonna make a hip-hop album you know but that's the beauty of of music you can actually do whatever you want and um you know as far as things like writer's block go and those things all they are is when you put these serious limitations on your creativity, you should just write, just write for the fun of writing and it'll always find its way to somewhere. Yeah. I love to always ask for music recommendations. So what are you listening to at the moment that you would recommend? Well, um, I would say the the kind of some of the tracks that have just popped up in the last little while that I'm really enjoying is I'm obsessed with that song uh, Yukon Interlude by Joji. I don't know much about Joji, but that song just came on and 
you know, like Triple J is one of those weird beasts where I'll be listening to it sometimes. I'm like, this is shit. There's nothing interests me here at all. But you still listen to it and then suddenly you're like, oh, fuck, that's a great song, you know. And uh, so the radio is good for that, you know. So that song came on and I was like instantly it just kind of tweaked me. Um, there's a track by a guy, again, I don't know much about him. His name's Dion, spelled with a J. Uh, D I. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, um, he's got this great track called Talk Down and it's like it's kind of got this classic kind of like almost early 90s kind of like beat going on, but just just his vocals and stuff kind of sit in that. I love stuff when it's a little bit lo-fi and distorted and fucked up. That's my favorite sounds. Um, and he's got he's got that going on, but it's kind of balanced with this really clean beat. Um, the the new unknown model orchestra track is Wicked as well, which is the it's called This Life or something like that. I think it's mm. called. Um, and it, that feels like it kind of sits, you know, similar to where that that Dion stuff is. Um, uh, the new Julia Jacqueline, I mean, she's just so classy, Julia Jacqueline. I, I love that that um, that new track, which is called um, "Try Not to Hold On." I think it's called. Um, anything she does, just it just sounds effortless, you know. And style, I, she's always on point with her style as well. Like Perfect, she yeah. looks really comfortable in front of a camera, and she's kind of like pretty but left of center and cool at the same time I, I love it it's really cool anyway that's a few things that i've been listening to yeah cool i like it it's a bit of a mix-up of stuff it sounds like you're liking that that synthy that synthy vibe as well which is interesting i like it i like look one of the records i got really inspired by you know one of them was funnily enough folklore by taylor swift um but um it took me a long time to admit that and then i bought the limited edition vinyl and then i made my whole family sit down and watch the yes. plus i'm like Shh, she's she's talking um <laughs> um but yeah the taylor swift it's a slippery slope once you get in you get in deep um but i also loved that haim record that came out women in music three it was just such a consistent album and like it was really the combination of Daniel Haim and her partner Ariel Rexlack I can't even pronounce his last name but he's an awesome producer in his own right and then clearly those guys getting together would kind of form this power couple but I think the production on that record was a really great um I guess validation of the stuff that I love you know it's this kind of everything sounds distorted and kind of futzed up but at the same time, there's this like strong leaning into kind of pop sensibility and organic instruments, you know, and they all kind of meld together. It doesn't sound like overthought. It just feels really natural. And so um, that's a lot of what I've done with my record. And it's more to do with like not listening to the Haim record and going, I want to write a record like that. It's more, this validates what I do as an artist. So I'm like, I get it. This is, uh, this is totally what I do. Yes. Fantastic. And coming out of a band like Eskimo Joe, where you're a sum of your parts and you know, you, you've got to make compromises all the time and it, it ends up at a place, which I think is often better than the one person can ever take it. It's a, it's a really nice place to get to as a solo artist where you're suddenly going, I know what, a, what kind of, what my sensibilities are. And then to kind of find that place, you know, it has been really, really good. And, uh, and yeah, the Haim record was, gave me some good signposts. Yeah. Cool. And in terms of Eskimo Joe, obviously those tracks have been kind of embedded into a lot of situations, a lot of people's memories over the past 20 so years. Um, what is one of the weirdest situations that you've heard an Eskimo Joe song being played and also one of the most kind of iconic and best situations you've heard it being played in? God, there's so many 
stories over the years, and some of them I, I'll I'll save for the uh, the best selling biopic uh, because yeah. I probably can't, can't tell them until some people are dead. Um, but uh, you know, there's it's just there's some ridiculous moments. Like we played this gig once, and then we, you know we all ended up at a pub afterwards, which is kind of rare because you know often after a gig, like someone wants to do this and someone wants to do that. We ended up at a pub, and I was there with my wife as well. We we're in Brisbane, and I suddenly like my cab senses were tingling. I'm like, I think we need to leave. And she was like, why? And I'm like, I, we just got to go. Anyway, moments later, I get this footage and it's Stu and Joel from the band. And it's like, you know, some bad pub that stays open after hours. And they've managed to go on stage with the acoustic guitar and they're playing Black Fingernails Red Wine, but Stu singing it. And it's just it's <laughs> horrific. It is so horrific. I'm watching it and he's like, the way he's singing it as well, he's kind of like pretending to be me, which is even weirder in itself because I've played in a band with him for many years. And I was like, how did this situation even come about? Uh, so that was horrific. Uh, that's that's a weird moment uh, done by my own bandmates. But then, you know, so many uh, beautiful and amazing moments in being in a band and, you know, playing on stages of all sizes. I guess one of the one of the things that just pops to mind straight away is um, you know, we played this gig years ago called uh, Live Eight, which I guess was a take on Live Aid mm. um, at uh, Stadium Australia, you know, where Homebush is in Sydney, and it was like eighty thousand people. They were broadcasting it all over the world. It was one of these huge big events. You know, Crowded House had just reformed for it, and you know, it was it was a big deal, and. Um, we had this one song that was like it was, it was like an album track, but we played it live. It's the closing track on on the album Black Fingernails Red Wine, and so I just kind of asked everyone in the audience as a kind of like a as a you know an act of brotherly and sisterly and everything in between love, you know, to put your arm around the person to the left and the arm around the person to the right and just sway in time to this music because it's kind of like a waltz. It's like a ding, 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 ding. So they all did it. It's amazing what people do when you have a microphone. Um, and they all started swaying and it was the most amazing thing to watch from the stage because they're filming the whole thing too. And so you're just watching 80,000 people just kind of swaying, with, you know, in time. But they're all kind of going at different times. So it looks like an ocean, you know, in front of you. Yeah. And those kind of moments, you just got to kind of pinch yourself and be like, wow, this is real. It's happening in front of me. Totally. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and having a chat and taking the time out of your day. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank, thank you for doing what you do. Uh, we need all the help we can get in the music industry these days. So anytime anyone's willing to spruik our wares, we're all very appreciative. So thank you. I drank the last of the wine Just to keep this feeling inside I've never been in love like this before I never want the night to ever end